0: Today We're coming to the Word. We're coming to the Word, and we asked uh, God to give us, through His Holy Spirit, illumination and understanding. Lord, thank You for the Scriptures. Thank You for this time that we can open up the Bible, and we know that You're going to speak to us. God, You're going to speak to us out loud as I read Your Word in just a moment. I pray that You will continue to move us in this series we're doing Uh, on the cross, and the the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross, the last words that our Lord spoke before he died. Move us in a powerful way today. I pray in particular, Holy Spirit, for any person sitting in this room, as I preach the word in just a moment, that is not a believer in Jesus Christ. I know that it will not be about my oratory skills. It will not be about how smart I am with the Bible. It will be about the Holy Spirit of God revealing their need for Christ. So I pray, Holy Spirit, please, arrest that soul that's restless, that needs Christ. Speak to them. Open their heart and open their mind and help them to see their need for Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Be seated if you would. The hymn writer wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of... "...of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown?" We're the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The words to the great hymn When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. In these weeks here at our church, we're standing at the foot of the cross to survey the scene of that moment that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, died for us on the cross. After all, that's the reason we're here today, right? It's because of what Jesus did for us in His redemptive work on the cross of Calvary. I've been praying in my own life, and I'm praying for you, that as we make this journey, and we see the scenes, and we listen to the words of our Lord and Savior, that it will move us in a fresh and a new way. I was reading through Dr. Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing the Cross, yesterday, and I noticed a quote in there that he, a statement that he made that I think is so relevant to this series that we're doing. <clears throat> he said, Too many of God's people are going through life missing most of what the Father in heaven intends for them. Notice he's speaking about God's people, not the lost, unsaved world, but His people, you, you and I. We're missing the best of what God intends for us because an inadequate grasp of the cross lies at the heart of this tragedy. Understanding fully what Jesus did for us at the cross, it causes us to miss out on God's best. How many of you know that you can look at the cross, you can listen from the cross and still miss out on what God has for you? As we're looking at the cross, we have some here uh, on the back wall. As we're looking to the cross, we're we're seeing the scene, and we're listening to the last words of Jesus. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary to Africa. For over 30 years, he was out in the bushes walking and, and giving his life for the African people. Livingston is credited for actually discovering the Victoria Falls. Uh, Of course, that is one of the wonders uh, in, in that country. It was said about David Livingston that one day he said to some of his companions, he said, I want you to build me a hut. I'm getting close to die, and I want to just die alone in that hut. And so they, they met his request, and sure enough, the time came where Livingston passed away, and when they walked in, they found him kneeling at his bedside. After he passed, they did an amazing thing that still baffles me to this day. Because of the life he lived and the love he had for the African people, they took his heart out of his body, And they buried it in Africa. They took his the rest of his body back to Westminster Abbey so that he could be buried with honors. But they said they buried his heart in Africa to show where his heart truly was. When our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, 40 days later, He ascended back into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father where He makes intercession for us today. But as we look into our text for today, it will clearly show us that His heart is in this world because Jesus loves sinners. Look in Luke chapter 23 with me. And verse number 35, we finished up last Sunday, listening to Jesus in verse 34 say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We pick up the scene in verse 35, and I want you to see, as kind of my first point in the text today, I want you to see the scene of the rejected Savior. It says in verse 35, the people stood by, they were watching, they were surveying. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, beginning in verse number 35, there are three very direct, sarcastic, and caustic admonitions that are aimed at Jesus, telling him that if you're really good enough to save someone... If you're really good enough to heal a blind man and make the the dead to uh, come to life. If you're really good enough to make the lame to walk again. Hey, Jesus, if you're so great, why don't you take this opportunity to go a step further and to save yourself? Uh, These admonitions came, first of all, from the religious leaders. And we know how much they despise Jesus, because Jesus ticked them off, right? They were mad. They're the primary ones that wanted Jesus crucified. And then the second admonition comes from the Roman soldiers, as they're there just gathered at the cross, a chiming in with the ruckus and kind of doing their job, and as they jeered at him and told him to save himself it says they did something else in this moment they offered up to him some sour vinegar Uh, some translations call it wine vinegar to drink now in my research i found that this drink was actually kind of common for the soldiers to even drink themselves and so that makes us think in this moment what were they doing were they offering up a a momentary uh, a, a, a moment of of uh, allowing Him to be medicated. Was it an act of kindness uh, that they were showing to Him as He suffered on the cross? Uh, others say that maybe they were just trying to prolong the agony of Jesus uh, by medicating Him. But here's what we know. is my dad used to say, this was a dog and pony show, right? It was all a game. It was all a show. R- remember that this crucifixion and this moment, it was all about politics. It was a political trial, not a spiritual one. And so they're looking at it from a a judicial perspective. They acknowledge what Jesus had acknowledged about Himself. That He actually was the King of the Jews. You believe that, don't you? That He really is the King? All friends, He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. That plaque that was hanging over His head on the cross was certainly accurate. He is the King of the Jews. And, and not unanimously, but overwhelmingly, the scene around the cross is a scene of an outright rejection of Jesus. And this really should not surprise us, because that same attitude and spirit is alive and well today. There's a very strong rejection of Christ. As a matter of fact, there's a very strong rejection of God, of His authority. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God created us. He created every human being. The psalmist said that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. God created us so that we would understand that it's All about Him. God created us so that we would know not only that there is a God, but there is one true God. It's the God of the Bible. And when you come to that realization, you know that this world and this life is not about us. It's all about Him. I suggest you walk out the front doors of that church. Look to the east. Am I pointing the right direction? Look to the east. Look to the west, look to the north, and tell me there's not a God. Tell me that God has not revealed Himself. He is our Creator. He is the Giver of life. We didn't get here by a couple of gases running into each other. The Big Bang... We got here because we have a Creator and God is revealing Himself to mankind. And watch, because God is our Creator, He has all authority in our lives. But at the heart of our rebellion is that we think we're smarter than God. At the heart of our rebellion is that we try to place ourselves above Number one, that is God Almighty. What are they doing at the cross? Let's get in the scene here for a What are they doing at the cross in this moment? These characters that are gathered who are mocking Him and ridiculing Him and challenging Him and, and telling Him to save Himself, what they're really doing is they're acting out a rejection of God that says, I'm smarter than God because God is hanging on the cross right in front of them. The one they had longed for to set them free. Please, please hear me. You got to get in, got to get in the story here with me for just a minute. I must challenge you and say that every single person on the face of the earth, your eternal destiny will be determined by whether or not you reject Christ or accept Christ. That's it. We can sit around and get into all these theological conversations and this term and that term and over here and over there and I hear people doing that and I just want to have a simple theology that says at the end of time or when you draw your last breath, the only thing that's going to matter is have you rejected Christ or have you accepted Christ? And Jesus is being rejected. He's being rejected. Now listen to me. Every person in this room has something in common with these religious leaders and with these soldiers. Here it is. You were born into this world with the same rebellious heart that they have. You say, oh, pastor, that that offends me. Hold on just a minute. Hold on just a minute. You were not born into this world with a good heart. You were not born into this world a good person. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that. Scripture's clear. We're born into this world rejecting God, pushing back from God, scoffing God, not listening to God. Is there anybody in the room today that says, man, that, that's, that's what we hear 24-7 in the country we live in today. People despise God and they despise His authority. And when you tell someone that you believe in Jesus, you might as well tell them you believe in the tooth fairy. It's like you've lost your mind. You've got friends and family that think you have lost it. Because you say, I believe in Christ. You know why? Because our flesh says, push back. Let me take that a step further. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that when you declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, it is what? It's foolishness to them. Just last Sunday we looked at where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for their living in ignorance. There's a lot of people in the world living in blindness, right? Right? And they look at the gospel as a fairy tale, they scoff at its authority, and they mock the holy name of Jesus. Why do we do that? Why do people act that way? I'm so glad you asked. Because Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 9 says, our hearts are desperately wicked. Our hearts are wicked. And we need a heart transplant, right? We need something to happen. To release that hostility, that madness, that friction, that pushback. We need something in our life to happen to turn us in the right direction. Not only, I need you to notice another character in verse 39. There's somebody else that chimes in with the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. It's one of the thieves that's hanging on the cross. Now remember, Jesus is hanging on the middle cross. There are two thieves, one hanging on his left, one hanging on his right. And Luke records for us in verse 39 that one of those thieves begins to chime in. He chimes in for you musicians and singers in three-part harmony rejecting Christ. Hey, if you're really the Christ, why don't you save yourself? And hey, buddy, while you're at it, why don't you save us? Now, why is he hanging on the cross? Jesus is hanging on the cross for crimes that he had not committed. But this thief is hanging on the cross because he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He was a thief, right? He was a robber. And, and, and I've got I've to help us kind of process this story for just a minute. And I've got to say this is going to offend some of you, and I'm not trying to, but it's just the truth. The truth is, is that we've all committed robbery say, Pastor, I've never stolen any money. I've never stolen a car. I've never... Hold on just a minute. We are all thieves. Thieves of the highest form. Because we at times have attempted to try to steal God. We've tried to steal God's glory. We've made life all about us. We've been prideful. Can, can I remind you... In, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16, there's a list of things that says that God really hates. You know, it says, these are the things that God hates. And then it says, yeah, but seven is an abomination to Him. Meaning these are the things that God really, really, His anger is kindled against these things. What's the first thing at the top of the list? A proud look. Those that are filled with pride. Those who... Can't understand and can't accept the fact, yeah, I am a thief. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I am a sinner. And I know, listen, there's a lot of places that, that people are going to go to church today and it's going to be all, you know, syrupy and it's all going to be about how to think better and how to be more positive and all that. And we certainly all need encouragement. But there are a lot of churches today that are attracting a lot of people where the pastor and the minister never gets up and says, we are sinners. And if you don't preach a gospel with sin, you're not preaching the gospel. If you can get to a point where you say, you know what? I am a sinner. My heart is cruddy. That's the first step. Before you can be saved, you've got to get lost. You've got to know that you need Jesus. And so this thief here is just joins in. But I've got to give you a little bit broader picture, okay? So we have what we call the synoptic Gospels, right? you got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is different than the other three. And so it, it's interesting how they all give different details to the moment. Luke records for us in verse 39. Look in your Bible. What's the first word? What's the first word? Verse 39. One. One of the criminals chimes in. And reviles against Christ. But something interesting that Matthew records. In Matthew 22 and verse 47, he gives a different picture. Matthew states that both of the criminals on the cross were reviling Jesus. Both of them. They're both chiming in. I mean, it seems like everybody's just rejecting Jesus. But as we transition into verse number 40, we see the change that happens in a person's life. And I just put point number two to be the regenerated sinner. Something changed in his life. He went from being a reviler to being redeemed. Look at verse 40. But The other rebuked him. Speaking, he's actually speaking to the other thief on the cross. And he says... Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? Wow, wait a minute. Something's happening here, right? All of a sudden, this thief is getting serious about life. And he says to his counterpart over there, wait a minute. You're still reviling him? Are you not seeing the scene? Are you not getting the picture? Are you not hearing his words? Did you just not hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? Is this man not showing himself to be who he claims to be? And I think the bigger reality in this moment is this thief is speaking to the eminence Of standing before a holy and a righteous God, and his life has changed. You know, how does life change happen? Watch. There's no worship service going on here at the cross, no praise band and singers. There's no theological discussions. There's no one giving a three circle gospel presentation on how to be saved. There's no one passing out tracts with Bible verses from the book of Romans on how to be born again. But i tell you what this thief had in this moment. He was in the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. How many of you believe today that it's Christ and Christ alone that can change a life? Christ and Christ alone. This guy's about to die. No, no, I know. I know what you're thinking. There was no time for him to prove his life change. There was no time for him to to be able to tell people about what had happened in his life. But this is a powerful moment for him because he realized his sinfulness. You will never be born again until you realize how sinful and lost you are. He realized that he could not help himself. In these final hours, he knew that he was going to stand before a holy and a righteous God. He knew he was lost and he knew he was a sinner. And it was time for him to make things right with God. Now let's get real here for just a minute. Let's get real, all right? Everybody listen to me. It's 10 till 11. If you knew Jesus Christ was coming back at 1 o'clock, how would you respond to that? How would you? What would you do in the next two hours? What would you do? Would you go back to life as normal, or would you? Or would you have this stark reality? I'm fixing to stand before a holy and a righteous God. I would hope to think that you wouldn't just blow that off and think, "Oh, no big deal. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and not think." I tell you what. That'd be all I'd think about for two hours. I think I'd probably go out here and witness to people. Whatever. Make sure my heart's right. I, I don't know. You're saying, Tim, you're giving me a hypothetical. Let me tell you something. Last Sunday afternoon, I preached at Zion Hope Primitive Baptist Church in Pensacola a few times for Dr. Bernard Yates. Wonderful associate pastor. Good man. My wife was just talking. Just always smiling. Always hugging us. Always loving on us. Encouraging us. One of the, One of the pillars of that church... Last Sunday afternoon, he performed a wedding and finished the vows and took just a few steps away and hit the ground and went out into eternity to see God. Had a heart attack. A pastor. I'm telling you, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, you're going to stand before a holy and a righteous God. And all of this casual, blasé approach to God doesn't cut it. This guy gets it. I grew up hearing preachers say this. I don't believe in a deathbed repentance. Well, I want you to know I believe in a deathbed repentance. I believe God can save anybody at any time at anywhere. But let me tell you something. Your salvation is not on your terms. They're on his terms. It's the Holy Spirit of God that reveals to you you're a sinner. And that you need Christ. It's only the Spirit of God. That can show you that. And in this moment, this man's eyes are opened. So what would I say to this room today? I would say this. Hebrews chapter 4 verse number 7 says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Don't reject Him. Don't push back. God is showing you your need of Christ. Let Him change you. Let Him change your heart. You just got to, listen. You just got to reach a moment where you're overwhelmed by your sin and you know you don't deserve it. You don't deserve, none of us deserve eternal life. None of us deserve heaven. None of us deserve forgiveness. It's a gift from God. Sinclair Ferguson said this "Thinking, Thinking that I deserve heaven is a sure sign that I have no understanding of the gospel. Now, please hear me today. I'm not trying to be offensive. Some of the most awesome people I've ever met in my life are sitting in this room right now. I mean that. Some of the most awesome people. I'm, I'm not up here today to tell you that everybody in this room is slime bags. Okay? That's not why I came here. But God brought me here today to say, every person in this room is a sinner that needs God's grace. You need to be changed from death to life. You need to be changed from sinner to saint. And if you have a mentality, well, you know... Pastor, I'm a good person. If anybody, you know, I just I've had people tell me this so many times in 27 years of ministry. I just feel like if anybody's going to make it, I am. That's really, 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 really bad theology. That's really, really bad Bible gospel thinking. Because if we make it, it's going to be because we understand that we're sinners and we need Christ. And you don't, you don't listen. You don't have to leave here today lost and confused. You can leave her today with that. So you can have your heart regenerated by God's grace. That's what happens to this thing. Isn't this cool? This guy's guilty. He's guilty. But but we got to see. Verse 42, and I'm done. 42, 43. He scolds his buddy. We, we deserve, verse 41, we, we deserve what we're getting. But this man, the man on the center cross, he's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve this. And then this thief looks over at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a powerful statement. Now, Do you see the amazing work of God in his life? He's gone from a reviler now to asking him to remember him. He's really saying, Jesus, wherever you go, that's where I want to go. I'm on your team. I believe. I see you. You're the sinless Son of God. You truly are the Messiah. Would you please remember me? And you see the beautiful grace and mercy and the salvation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If it would have been us in that moment, here's what we would have said. Are you kidding me? You think you can lie and cheat and steal and live the way you live and then at the last minute just pray a prayer? Come on now. Isn't that us? Or we'd at least kind of look at Him with one eye closed, thinking, I don't know if uh, I don't know. We'd like to think it was real, but in our hearts we'd really be doubting it. Jesus, would You remember me? Hear the words of grace and mercy from the lips of our Lord and Savior in His second statement on the cross. Verse 43. He said to him, Truly, you ought to study your Bible, the old king James says verily, verily, over and over again, truly, truly, certainly, certainly, there is no doubt today, you will be with me in paradise today notice notice that the thief asks. Kind of this unknown when, when whenever this happens. Lord, I don't, I don't know where you're going. I don't know how you're going to get there or when you're going to get there. But whenever you get there, would you think about me and maybe bring me to where you are? Notice the immediacy of what Christ says. He says, today, today, right now, right now, you will be with me in paradise. Three times the word paradise is used in the Scriptures and some people get a little confused about that and think, well, is paradise a different place than heaven? In the Jewish writings, it was used primarily as being the opposite of Gehenna. Gehenna was the place of condemnation, eternal eternal damnation and judgment. It's a word sometimes that's used to refer to hell. There was also a place on the southern end of the city of Jerusalem called Gehenna that was like a trash heap. There, was, there were always... There was always trash burning. It was a place they would throw the bodies of thieves like this that they crucified, just burn it all up. It was a place of stench. It was nasty. You get the picture? The opposite of that is paradise. And for the Jewish people, it was the place of eternal abode for God's people. So when we read our Bible, we know that the place of eternal abode for God's people is a place called heaven. Heaven. Every person on the face of the earth will spend eternity in one of two places. Please hear me. You won't find a third place. Paradise is not an alternate place. You will not find purgatory in the Bible. A holding place. When you breathe your last breath, you'll either be in the presence of God in all eternity with Christ, or you'll be in a place called hell, a lake of fire. And I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody in this room to die and go to hell. I read the other day, the late E. Stanley Jones wrote in his book, Victory Through Surrender, that for 50 years, his home was a suitcase. That was his mentality. And he said, I've never felt loneliness, because long ago I surrendered my life to Christ. And I know where my home is. I know where I live. I know where I abide. Where we abide is in the presence of Christ. You know what? This criminal wanted to be where Jesus was. Now, please hear me, Christian. Sometimes we get these, I don't know, sometimes we get these, I think, faulty ideas. Maybe you read a good book over here by somebody. Sometimes people come to me and say, oh, have you read this book? Oh, it's so great. And I'm thinking, oh, my word, you read that book? That's got some of the worst theology in it of any book's ever been written, right? But here's what we think. Sometimes we think, yeah, I'm going to get up to heaven. I'm going to have me a mansion. I'm going to... Have me a ten-acre lake and a, gonna be stocked with bass and you know Jesus loves me so He's gonna build my favorite restaurant there beside me and we're just gonna kick back and drink lemonade and for all eternity. You know what we do? We American culture westernize heaven. What a slap in the face of eternal and the Holy God. Yeah, there's gonna be streets of gold. Yes, there's gonna be mansions. Walls of Jasper, gates of Purple. Let me tell you something. That is not what you're going to be mesmerized by when you get there. Heaven is only going to be heaven because Jesus is there to be with Him. Now, I've got some good news for you. Here's the good news we don't just live this life in this crooked, sin cursed world. And think about, well, maybe one day I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm looking forward to... Je- we, we, do, we do have that theology that Christ is coming back to receive us. But my Bible says that heaven is Jesus with me and me with Jesus. And Jesus is with me right now. We are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, why not have a little heaven on earth? As you live in the presence of the Lord. Yes, heaven is a place. But heaven is being in the presence of Jesus. Jesus said, you will be with me. With me. And the last thing in your outline that we see is the reception of the saved. You know, one day I want to hear Christ say, Well done, Tim, well done. <laughs> I do. I'm not perfect. I'm like you, I'm not perfect. But the most important thing in my life and in your life today is to look in the Bible and understand the law of sin. And the law of transgression. What is sin? Okay. Sin is anything we do that goes against God's word. And you say, well, Tim, I just don't agree with this section or I don't like this section. I don't think this is relevant or that's relevant. Okay. That's where you're at. Just hear me out for just a minute. God has written his eternal word. It's forever settled in heaven. That's what it says. In other words, God's not going to say something and then back up on it. God's not going to change. The Bible says that God God never changes. He remains the same. And so we just believe that if God says it in His Word, then that's settled. It's forever settled in heaven. If God says that this is sin, then it's sin. If God says that lying is a sin, then I can't go around lying and say, who is God to tell me I can't lie? If God says that adultery is sin, committing sexual immorality is sin then i can't go around and and do that and say well who is god to tell me what i can do with my life what typically happens is is that people typically say that somebody like me that i'm telling you what you can and can't do and that's really not what's happening because i have no authority apart from the bible i can just say this is what god has said and so what we do is we just push back we reject right we push back and we reject. I was reading. I was reading Tony uh, Evans the other day, Doctor Tony Evans, and, and he was talking about the law of gravity. How many of you believe in the law of gravity? Okay, it's just a universal law. It's a universal principle, and you know you can develop an attitude that says this: I don't believe in gra. I just don't believe law of gravity. Get me behind me, law of gravity. You don't control me. You can't tell me what you can't. You can't gravity. You can't tell me what I can and can't do. I'm in control of my life. Buzz off. So you get this bright idea and you say, I'm going to show, as a matter of fact, I'm going to prove to everybody in this room that I reject the law of gravity. So I'm going to go out here and I'm going to climb up on top of the church and I'm going to defy, I'm going to look gravity right in the face and I'm going to defy it. And I'm going to jump off the church and land in the parking lot. How many of you know that's not going to end well? It's just, not, it's just not going to end well. Ambulances, bandages. We may have a few at our house we can loan you. What's my point? Dr. Dr. Evans kind of makes this point with it. He says, our flesh tells us to push back and fight the law of sin. Push back on it. To tell God, God, you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not, I, no. You, you're not going to have authority in my life. And please hear me today, sinner. You can fight and you can push and you can twist all you want. But just like this thief, who knew in just a short amount of time, I'm going to stand before a holy and a righteous God. One day we're all going to do the same. Every one of us. And the only thing that's going to matter in that moment is have you accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life? Or have you rejected Jesus as Lord of your life? Because I'm telling you, if you reject Him, it doesn't end well. Eternity, separated from God, separated from Jesus, in a lake of fire. I didn't make it up. I didn't, listen, I didn't I didn't eat pizza and go to bed and have a dream about all this. This is what God said in His Word. And so you sit there today right now and you can either say, Wah! Or you can say, God, I open up my life. What you said about me is true. And I receive it today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm done. If I die this afternoon, or if Jesus comes back at 1 o'clock, not because I'm a great guy, not because I'm sinless, but because of what Jesus did in my heart and life when I was 13 years old, here's what I know. Today, I'll be with Jesus in paradise forever. And I hope you do too. Can we pray together? Can we pray together?